So, Eric, you say you have something to read. Yeah, I got some some heavy duty questions. I've been, it's been a series of coincidences of small and medium confrontations I've had with people close to me. And the common theme has been like uh, setting boundaries and wondering about my negative feelings towards these people when they ask me for support. So the, the topic I think is empathy. And the three questions I would like to start with are, is all social behavior rule driven? Uh, then when someone asks me for support and I feel repulsion, sadness, laziness, disdain, how should I act? And uh, is it better to support a person even though I don't really need that person in my life? Oh, and then what if it's someone I feel responsible for or someone that lives with me? Did you write this or this is something that you cut off the internet? No, I was just gathering my, my experiences and I uh, wrote it as questions. Okay, so this is your question, not, not a question that you're reading. Yeah, but I... I <laughs> yeah, I wrote it before calling. All right, all right. So the question now is about the word empathy and things like this. Um, it might be useful for us to get a little bit information about what's happening other than a, a, an overall. So, um, You're cutting off a bit. Ah, that'll help. <laughs> okay, so the, uh, the question then uh, has to do with someone that is close to you or lives in the same house with you? Yeah, it's been three people this week, so <laughs> it's been a common oh, thing. Oh, so this is three different people who have come to you wanting stuff. I see. What kind of stuff are they wanting? Should I tell you the specific cases? Uh, yeah, one liner for each one. Yeah. Just uh, one well, liner. Once my dad and basically we've been estranged because uh, I don't like him and he misses me and um, it frust frustrates me that we can't just be estranged in peace. Then uh, the other one is uh, someone who lives with me that rents a room here that I thought I considered a friend because we've spent uh, a lot of time together. But when this week her sick cat escaped from the house and she was uh, screaming in frustration and, and I felt uh, like repulsed. And then a cousin of mine who uh, has lived here and is coming back to live here again, wants to bring her newly adopted little kitten to live with us and I refuse because we set a rule that tenants aren't allowed to have pets. Okay, the second one, something escaped. Her sick cat. A cat escaped. Yeah, uh, her cat is living with us. Um, it's been here for a month because it got sick and her mom, where it was, couldn't take care of it. Okay, all right. Um, 
So the problem is not the cat. The problem is her attachment to the cat. Let's take this one first. Yeah, I I have considered that, but uh, I don't know if what I'm most interested in is my reaction to that. We'll get into that. Sure, of course. <laughs> uh, the point, though, uh, to make is, is that cats are not like dogs in the sense that uh, they don't they don't form social bonds the way that dogs do. And that cats also go um, on an outing. Now, I assume that this cat um, was injured and she took it in and nursed it back to health. And so the cat thinks that, okay, I'm ready to go now. Bye-bye. Thanks for the help, but I'm out of here. Uh, it's a cat that she's had for several years, but at her mom's house. And then she moved away. But when the cat got sick, her mom couldn't take care of it. So it was living with us for a month. And when they were coming back from the vet, she uh, let, let go of it and it escaped. Okay. All right. So um, the, the question then becomes is, is that when the cat did what cats do, which is escape, she got all uptight about it. Mm -hmm. And you decided that you'd going to get uptight also. Yeah, but it was in the sense that I wanted to get away from it. From that uptightness. Okay, so could you? I mean, you've got a room. You can close the door. Yeah. Yeah. I did. So <laughs> problems problem solved. Yeah, on that part. And she, and she will get over the cat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, it it came back. It yeah. it came back. <laughs> well, cats do that too. Yeah. And so her frustration and uptightness, et cetera, for the cat having gone was wasted effort. Yeah. She could have waited three days, and when the cat didn't come back, then she could have been uptight and upset. But uh, she wouldn't give the cat a chance to have any freedom. I get you. Mm -hmm. In other words, she had the idea that she owned the cat, and the cat has to do what she wants the cat to do. Mm -hmm. This yeah, cat I mean, is mine. <laughs> yeah. How dare my cat leave without my permission? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What I was worried about is that um, I have, uh, we have two other friends that live in the neighborhood and my girlfriend was here and the reaction of the three of them was like, oh, okay, we'll help her look for it. And it was like, chill, you know, but my reaction was like, I want to get away from this. Okay. And I want to um, like explore how to deal with those feelings because I feel like um, it, I could have had a better reaction. Well, how did you react to them is not the issue, but how you reacted on the inside. 
because I assumed that you didn't give them a bunch of grief because they were already in a bunch of grief. I assumed that you didn't give them a bunch of crap about them being in a bunch of crap. I assumed that you just walked away. Is that right? Okay. Yep. All right, well, problem solved then. Now all you have to do is start Samanapanasati and start having some <laughs> wholesome thoughts. Yeah. And forget all about the cat. Okay. Okay. And that in fact the cat came back, so now there's there's no problem. Eventually, you might want to put point out to her that all her anguish and frustration over the cat being gone was wasted. She could have waited until the cat died. <laughs> yeah. She could have waited until the cat died and then feel bad. Yeah, I'd rather not do that though. All right. Well. I don't see much of an issue there, um, but yeah, everybody was, else. Go ahead. I guess I was asking for permission. Okay. <laughs> yes, you you have permission to not buy other people's trouble. And you see all of the other people, they went to hunt for the cat. But the cat's going to show up when the cat wants to show up, not when they're when it's being caught. Cats are hard to catch. <laughs> yeah. They're All kind right. of independent that way. Uh, I've I've dealt with cats before, and that uh, the cats will hang around only as long as it's convenient for them to. I've seen cats that were in the household for 10 years and a puppy shows up and the cat is gone within a week. <laughs> Never to be seen again. So this is, uh, um, uh, in fact, the amusing stuff is what they put on um, YouTube about dogs and cats loving each other and getting along with each other and that kind of thing. But that's kind of unusual circumstance. And that it generally happens in the sense that one of the other or both of the animals were newborns when they met. And if it's an adult, um, then it's a female. Generally. Mm -hmm. With some exceptions, like maybe Labradors will take in a kitten. But generally, it doesn't happen that way. OK, so. Cats are very independent, but this is not about cats because you don't care because you don't have a cat. The question have is, cats. you have two cats. Well, where did they go during this time? They were around. They were around. OK. So one one cat goes on uh, a walkabout and the other cats stay home. Mm -hmm. How would it have been if one of your cats had gone on walkabout and her cat stayed home? Well, How it has happened and I I do rounds in the neighborhood asking about it. Little worried, but not too much. Mm -hmm. There's something also on the side about that, and that is, is that while there is considerable amount of dog napping, it is very rare to find catnapping. That's not a, a, a common yeah. thing. 
Why? Because right. cats don't get in themselves in a position of getting napped the way that a dog will. Yeah. yeah. Partly because of that issue of loyalty and, and, and all of that. So we can say then that there's not much to this because you do um, now both inside with your own mind and also by me doubling down on it that it's okay for you to not feel bad just because someone that you know feels bad. And yet in our society, that's what compassion is. Okay. We can call it um, a pity party. Once someone has a, a problem, oh, poor me, my cat's gone. All the women in the house will go, oh, poor me, too, because my friend's cat's gone. And everybody has a pity party. Okay, so here's an example that's that's kind of brings us home. And that is, is that you're on a boat in, at sea. And a friend who, you know, does not swim falls overboard. Are you going to jump in the water with them? Maybe. Uh huh. Maybe I like um May? I would swim in the in the vicinity to see if I could do something. Well, the whole issue though is is that it's the whole boat's responsibility for someone going overboard, not your personal responsibility. That if you can throw them a life trap, because boats are supposed to have that kind of equipment. They also have the ability slowly to turn around and to go back and find the person at sea. But now what happens if you jump overboard to save them and now nobody knows that they've got two people overboard? That's All right. So your job is to not jump overboard with them. Your job is to do what you can do to get them back on board. All right. Okay. In that regard, this is the problem with compassion and empathy and all of that is, is that our style, Western style empathy and compassion is, is that when somebody jumps overboard into, into the sea of bad feelings, everybody's supposed to jump overboard too. And that's not the right way to do it. You should stay on board. You should stay high and dry and do what you can to bring the people who have jumped overboard back into dry, high, right? That's the whole point of compassion that we have to understand that this is the, when I'm talking about this, this is Karuna, the Pali word for Karuna which has been wrongly translated as compassion. But in fact, you can hear the word compassion and, and see where that word comes from. The word come in this regard is a Latin phrase that means with or a Latin art, uh, particle. So with passion. So if somebody is all passioned up, you're supposed to have compassion. You're supposed to get all passioned up too. If they fall into the water, you're supposed to jump into the water with them. This is our society. It's based back, actually, this is Christian. 
This is not Islamic. This is not uh, um, worldwide. This is something that um, that uh, an example of that, by the way, that I have seen on more than one occasion, but uh, we give this example, is that four or five or six Thai teenagers are just horsing around and, and going down the street and having fun or whatever, and one of them falls. And everybody else will laugh while he gets up and laughs. Now, in the West, if some the same situation and somebody falls down, especially the girls, but everybody will go back to him and say, oh, here, let me help you up. Oh, poor dear. Right? That's the difference in the Thai society is, is that the other people make a no big deal out of it. And so the person can make a no big deal out of it also. But in the West, when somebody falls down, everybody makes a big deal out of it. And so the person makes a big deal out of it also. Okay. One of the things that you could have said to her was, oh, don't worry about the cat. It'll come back. Don't have to worry about it. Cats take a hike and sometimes they come back and sometimes they don't. But don't worry about it. You'll be okay. Right. Yeah. Now, I understand also that she had a lot of investment in the cat because she was nursing it back to health. And so all of my nursing skills have gone to crap because the cat is gone. How can I continue to nurse the cat when the cat is gone? And in fact, the cat doesn't think that it needs any more nursing. In fact, the cat may have escaped from the nursing that it was getting. So um, in this regard, we can find a new way of handling compassion. And that is by looking at the Brahma Viharas from the perspective. And one of the things that we can mention offhand is that Metta, Karuna, Mudita, and Opeka are not meditation skills or practices. They are the result of correct practice, which is not Metta, not uh, Karuna, not Mudita. So let's move to Medita, which is sympathetic vibrations, okay? They call it sympathetic joy, but the quality of sympathetic is important here, all right? Let me, let me uh, mention this, that if you have a violin that's correctly tuned in a room all by itself, and someone comes in with a trumpet and plays an A, and then walks out of the room and somebody else walks into the room, they can still hear that violin sympathetically vibrating to that A that the trumpet made. The trumpet has stopped and the guys left the room, but the violin is still sympathetically vibrating. Okay, this is a major, major physical and mental um, attribute of our physical universe is this idea of sympathetic vibrations. And so what's happening is, is that when she's got the pity party going, she's vibrating pity party and everybody else 
ignorantly starts to vibrate at the level that she's vibrating at. Right? This is actually, we can see this in the example. If somebody gets angry, one of the qualities of that guy is, is that he wants to go around and share his anger. He wants other people to be angry too. If he's angry at the bank, he wants everybody to be angry at the bank. And if he's angry at you, he wants you to be angry at him. That's just the way that we operate as human beings based upon this sympathetic vibration. Okay. The question is, are you wise enough and well-skilled enough to not go around vibrating at other people's frequencies? All right. The, the problem, though, is, is that you have been vibrating at other people's frequencies all these years. You were taught that. So Anapanasati is learning to stop vibrating the way that we used to vibrate and start vibrating the way that we want to vibrate. Get some good vibrations. Got some good vibes, okay? Once we have those vibrations, now with the quality of mudita, we can go share that. We can go share our joy. And that's the way to handle people who are in a pity party is by spreading joy. If somebody's angry, don't get angry with them. You can sympathize with them, but the sympathy has to be with gladdening their mind because you've been able to gladden your mind. The whole idea then is you can do this, um, let us say subconsciously through smiling. So when she comes in, oh, poor me, my cat's lost. We can, ha, ha, well, now you don't have to take care of that cat, do you? I just have a little so comment can... on smiling. That um, I've been using that throughout the practice since the beginning. And lately I began to have like a little job pain. And it was related to what you said about um, when, when that talk with Bo and Robert, where you were mentioning that, um, it doesn't, or Bo was saying that it doesn't do anything for people to tell them to concentrate because they just look like, like they're trying hard. And I, I noticed that when I prolonged my meditations or I was in a public space and suddenly one person comes, I like tense up a bit because of trying to do something. And whenever I feel that jumping now, I just like identify the tension and relax it. Okay. So the sympathetic vibrations that we're going to use have to do with joy. The problem, though, is, is that when you're working with a very, we'll call it bitter situation, it's going to take more sugar than normal. Okay, that's the whole point is, is that you cannot come with a teaspoon of sugar to help this medicine go down. You need a scoop of it. You need a shovel full of it. And I don't mean a hand shovel. I'm talking about a steam shovel full of sugar so that you can keep spreading it and keep spreading it and keep your joy going. And eventually your joy will wear them down into reality out of the poor me so this is the way that you can handle it if you can remember yeah but also sometimes that's the question 
Can you sometimes remember people, to keep story? Go ahead. That sometimes people don't really want to get out of that state and feel. That's why that it takes attack. so much. That's why it takes so much joy is because they want to stay in their pity party. They came, she went to the other girls to have a pity party with them, and the other girls went out looking for the cat. All right? So this is common human behavior. That's right. When someone's stuck in a pity party, they really don't want to be saved. They want to justify their bad feelings. Okay? The example that was used when I was studying psychology is, is that if a someone goes into a bar and doesn't order a drink, maybe he's just asking for information or something like that, the barfly will say, have a drink. And if the guy refuses to have a drink, we're causing a problem. Why is that? Because the guys who were drinking know that it's antisocial, that there is something wrong with it, that it is dangerous. And if we can get a complete stranger to come drink with me, then that means that it's okay with him that I drink. But if he don't drink and I'm drinking, that means that he might be looking down upon me. This is exactly the whole quality that you've heard is misery loves company. And you're not going to give misery company. You're not going to jump into that ocean just because they did. If you can stay mindful, if you can remember that you do not have to join their pity party, that's the hard part. The hard part is for you to wake up and to get your joy together and to keep your joy together while you're maneuvering around their pity party. This is why it's going to take a lot of joy. Yeah, but then the practical matter or a consequence of, let's say, right now I feel like I barely have enough joy to keep myself afloat. And I would rather I understand that that's the whole point then is, is that that's the most important point is, is can you have the mentality to do this? And if you don't, then it is better for you to not be in that pity party. If your choice is, is um, to either be in the pity party or to leave, then the right answer is to leave. So you chose the right answer is to get away from it because you don't have the skills to put up with their pity party while you're not having a pity party. So if you walk into that bar and everybody in the bar wants you to drink with them, you're either going to stay in the bar and not drink, which is causing a problem, or you can get out of that bar. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in your case, the answer would be correctly to get out of the situation. Oh, I hope you find your cat. Mm -hmm. I hope you feel better about not finding your cat. But meanwhile, I got to go. See you later. So that's the way to handle that one.
And in yeah. fact, that might be the correct answer for the other two questions. Yeah, that I was you thinking had. about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's <clears throat> that's the choice that you have. If you know that you've got the skills to deal with the situation, then deal with it. Yeah, how long it takes to deal with it. If you are unsure that you have the skills to deal with it, then recognize that it's not your business. It's not your job. It's not your cat. And her feelings are not your feelings. That this is the, uh, the um, this is the point about wisdom, I would say, in the sense that this is real wisdom is to know whether you can handle the situation or not. And if you can handle it, then do it wisely. And if you can't, don't. Now we can bring in other things other than a missing cat, because you know you can't help anything with a cat. The cat's not yours anyway. But we can look at it in the, in another case. Um, and that would be political activism. I can name you a hundred different political activ activist ideas or issues. And then with each one of them say, and it's not your business because you can't solve the problem. And everybody will keep saying, oh, but it is our business because it's dangerous. Okay. So one of them is, is that, oh, we're about to lose our democracy or women are about to lose their ability to get abortions or there is global warming and all of those kind of things. And the right idea for Dama dude is to recognize none of those things are my business. My business is to get my head together. My business is to deal with my issues and that my issues can be dealt directly and I don't have to go solve global warming in order for me to feel good. I can sit here and feel good while things get warm. And the question is, is if the world does get warm and there is global warming and there is flooding, can I be happy then too? So if they brought, start bringing guns all over the place, can I find a place where I don't have to deal with all of those guns because all those guns are not my business? But if I try to go take a gun away from somebody, that's a really stupid, dangerous thing to do. <laughs> As you can tell. <laughs> All right, so this is actually now the introduction into the quality of almost everything is not your business. It's somebody else's business. And they won't help with their business and they'll try to recruit you to come join their army and fight their war for them and with them. I mean, can you imagine if the generals of the Ukrainian army and the generals of the Russian army were put into a room together to work things out? But, I mean, how, why, why do you have to kill 150 children just because two old men are having an argument? And everybody gets into that argument and saying, oh, well, I'm on the side of that general. I'm on the side of this general. Let's all have a war. Let's all fight. Right? This is the mentality of compassion. If that general wants to have a war, you got to go help him have a war. 
If we have to go on a cat search, we need a whole lot of help to do a cat search. We want to recruit you to come help us. And the recruit has to then make that mental connection that this is my business too. I own this. Not only is it her cat that's lost, it's my cat that's lost also. And, and the reality now is. It, now that I think about it, what made my reaction more impactful to them might have been that I took it seriously. If I had just left like, oh, don't worry, it'll come back. They would just be like, oh, Eric. Yeah, that's right. That's what the, a bump. But that, <laughs> that would have been the sympathetic joy that you wanted to share. Oh, don't worry about it. The cat's going to be OK. Yeah. But I left all okay. tense. Mm-hmm. The same thing happened last night with Kitty. We've got a new puppy in the in the room and uh, or in the house, and we've got two old matron female dogs who haven't had puppies. One of them's eleven, the other one is nine years old, and we've got a six-week-old puppy in the house, and they're not about to go mother that puppy. They growl at the puppy when she comes close. And the problem with that is actually is that the puppy is in that really heavy duty biting stage where, you know, little puppies about this age, they will chew on anything. And they especially delight in chewing on human flesh, like your arm or the paw of another dog or whatever like that. And they also do the, the, the kneading and the sucking that the that young puppies do. Well, a six year, six week old puppy, a seven week old puppy, mothers do not want to nurse seven week old puppies because their tits get destroyed <laughs> with all of the kneading with those sharp little claws and all of those sharp new teeth, right? So uh, given that, Kitty now is afraid to have her little puppy and these other dogs in the same room. And I'm saying, no, you've got to let them work this out. Put the puppy down and watch what goes on. That is actually very interesting to watch this because he's afraid that the big dog is going to hurt the little dog. And the big dogs are already making sounds of don't come close to me. They're not making the kind of sounds as I'm going to eat you. They don't make that kind of sound. They make the sound of don't come close to me. And Kitty doesn't know the difference. She can't tell the difference between the, the growling of a dog of don't come close to me versus I'm about to kill you. And so she um, doesn't understand that. So I had to teach her to put her puppy down and watch what happens. We need to have, a, as, as long as she holds and protects that puppy from the bigger dogs, she'll always have a problem. They will be jealous and all kinds of things. But if we treat the dogs equally, they'll get along. I've already seen the progress going on, okay? But Kitty has the mentality, this puppy is mine. This is my business that the two dogs are not friends yet. Mm -hmm. Rather than letting the dogs work it out. They will. All of the dogs will survive and they will become friends, but it's a process that has to happen. OK, and it's not her business and that cat is not yours. It's not your business. Global warming is not your business. OK, 
That's a really important question to begin to understand is, is that a lot of stuff that we think is our business is because we've been socialized into thinking that everything is our business. Everything is our business. Look at the way that Christians, they want to proselytize. Look at all of the uh, the signs at war of Uncle Sam wants you. Patriotism, okay? You got to be local. You, you, you have to support the football team that's in your town. You can't support the football team in the town that you used to live in because the people in this town will kill you <laughs> because you they want you to support their football team, you see. All right, so this is the way that we've been socialized and the socialization uh, is compassion, which means that our compassion is, is that when someone's having a pity party, it's your pity party too. And the reality is, is that their pity party is none of your business. Your business is to stay out of their pity party. Are you saying that, oh, so socialization in general is compassion or in the West? In, generally in the West. In fact, this is the, uh, the issue about what does the word empathy and sympathy mean in relationship to the word compassion? That we can have sympathy for someone, but what the sympathy that we're having now, the sympathy would be to throw them a life raft, throw them a buoy with a rope and haul them back on board. Compassion is jumping in with them. Okay, so real sympathy, real empathy is not getting wet. And still helping. This is a really, really big issue for Westerners to come to the teachings of the Buddha because it looks like that Buddhism then is hard gnarled, uh, hard nosed, doesn't get involved, etc., like that. I'll give you an example about this with Achan Po. Achan Po, um, for years and still is, the abbot, the senior abbot of Wat Suan Mok. He's been the abbot, I think, since 1967, 69, something like that. And so he'd been the abbot all these years, and all kinds of people over the years have brought all kinds of trouble to him about the Wat. The what needs this, the what needs that, this is wrong, these people are fighting, whatever like that. And you know what his response generally is to every question that comes by? What is it? Well, he doesn't do anything. Because <laughs> their problem is not his problem. Their business is not his business. And not only that, but Achan Po once told me is, he said, why should I do anything when there's all kinds of people who will do it for them? In other words, they go to him, and if he's not going to help, they'll go to this old monk over there, and he, if he doesn't help them, then they'll go to this other monk, and that monk now will help them do their problem. So Achan Po winds up, he doesn't have to do anything. <laughs> but in fact, that happened with you. She found somebody else to go help her search for the cats, and you didn't have to go. Not your business.
So you could say, well, how could Ashkan Poe run a Watt when he does nothing? The answer to that is, is because the Watt runs well enough that it doesn't need him to run it. It's already running by itself quite well. But if it didn't, would he? Well, I would say that it's always been okay and running just the way that it needs to be running in that moment. Even after Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa died, that the population of monks dropped from about uh, the top of about 400 down to like maybe 50 or 60. That would have been a catastrophe to lose two thirds or three quarters of all the monks in the Wat, right? What did Achan Po do? Nothing. And now there's more monks back. They've come <laughs> back. Not not so many, but it took years for them to come back. But how did he get them to come back? He didn't do anything. That's nice. Okay. <laughs> So this is the way of beginning to understand is, is that just because things happen doesn't mean that you have to feel bad enough to go do something about it. That you could choose to do what you want to do based upon whether or not you consider it mine or not. And when you get into the position that very little belongs to you, then that gives you very little business to do. Because it's not your business. Uncle Sam wants you. Who me? No, he doesn't want me. <laughs> the Democrats need voters. Who me? I'm not a voter. I don't vote. That's not my business. Politics is not my business. Cat hunting, not my business. What reform, not my business. Okay, not my business. M N M B. Okay, this is a new acronym for you. Not my business. That's a hard lesson to learn, and you have to learn it on every little one, one of the things, one at a time. Not my business, not my business, not my business, because there's 10,000 things that you used to think is your business, and none of them are your business. So one by one as they occur, you'll have to keep repeating, not my business. But as a question, like, is it not my business? Surely not, right? Pardon? But... Uh... But it's better to say it as a question, like to make the, the investigation, even though it's a small moment. Instead of writing it off as not my business. Without doing well, the investigation. Um, I would say that not my business is the result of the investigation. Mm -hmm. Okay, to keep investigating, to figure out that, yeah, for sure, it's not mine. Doesn't belong to me, not my problem, not my business. And so you can begin then to uh, say, oh, this big box of stuff that is my business, let me set it down over there. And one by one, as the items occur that come out of that box into the present moment, I can make a choice. Is this my business or not? And more than likely, you would put it 
back into the box because it's not your business. So one by one as they occur, make an inspection, make sure for sure, does this belong to me? Is this I, me, or mine? And we're going to keep track of the fact that there is no self, so how could anybody own anything anyway? And so that's the real investigation that we need to make is, is that we need to start with the premise that this stuff is not my business, and the only reason that I would consider my business is because I've got feelings about it. Okay. Feelings of and about control. Mm -hmm. And the and then we begin to understand that the only thing that really is our business is this next breath, and this next thought, and yeah. this next feeling. That's our business. This relates to what you said about. I connected what you said about. Um, someone being promoted at their jobs until they're not uh, capacitated to do that final job they land in with humanity as a whole and being promoted from the animal kingdom to basically we thought we were like some kind of god but really mm. our, that's right our most job... people i know are not qualified to be human beings but they're because they were promoted to that anyway <laughs> Most generals in the army, whatever army, in whatever country, almost all of the generals are unqualified. They were promoted up to a level that they're incapable of managing. Well, of course, Donald Trump is incompetent. Of course, Joe Biden is incompetent. The job is too big for anyone. All we can do is elect one incompetent person after another after another because the situation is set up to make a job too big for one person. Mm -hmm. And so both sides, the Republicans say, look how incompetent their president is. And then the next election and this guy says, well, look at how incompetent their president is. Yeah, well, that's politics for you. And the joy of that is for you and me is is that yeah but that politics is not my business <laughs> let me be let me have business that i am competent at and gain the skills at it so the real business is this next breath this next thought this next feeling those are our business And if you can't handle other people's business by basically handling your own business. So if you cannot be joyful while she's miserable about her cat gone, then the best thing for you to do is to move away and go take care of your own business. Find some seclusion and get your mind back together again. Now, here's the point about that, and that is she had several people helping her find a cat, right? Nobody helped, really. Cat came back by itself. Nobody found the cat. So how many global warming demonstrations have we had? Is the, is the planet cool now because of all these global warming demonstrations? No. So all of these demonstrations uh, are uh, not useful 
that in fact the joke is on that level uh, that people would fly in an airplane from California to Washington, D.C. to protest global warming, when in fact all that jet fuel that they used to get there was doing global warming. If everybody who really wanted to stop global warming would stop global warming by just sitting down at, at home and waiting till things cool off, things would cool off. <laughs> <laughs> that in fact the heat happens because of people are trying to make it cool. Look how hard they try and how much heat they're generating by trying to make things cool. And when we recognize that through wisdom, we can say, wait a minute, the best thing to do is nothing at all. And that happens on almost everything that you can examine. Everything that you took out of that box that says, is this mine or not? The answer is probably is not mine. Doesn't belong to me, not my business. Let me put that aside again. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is that uh, there is evidence that there have been major asteroid impacts to Earth and that it would be useful to get the technology advanced up to the point that we can destroy asteroids before they oh, destroy. Oh, do you have are, are do you have rocket parts all over your bedroom? Do you do you do you have the physics? Do you know how to get your rocket to hit that asteroid? I mean, in other words, I'm, those asteroids already you already have enough people who were worried about asteroids that they're doing something about it. Why should you go join their pity party? Yeah, yeah. I wasn't talking about myself. I'm glad that someone's right. doing it. Right. Okay, well, let them do that job. <laughs> that means that you don't have to. Because there's always a bunch of people trying to solve the problem. Let them solve it. This comes to the point about imagine that a wagon, an old-timey wagon, a horse-drawn wagon, fell off the road into the creek. And everybody in town was called to please help me get this wagon out of the creek. Okay, and so 20 or 30 people show up to push this wagon out of the creek, and every one of them can only get a, a, a place to, to put their hand on the truck to push. And now everybody's pushing from all different directions. Are they going to be able to get that uh, wagon out of the creek? Yeah, no, they're going to destroy the wagon, right? Because everybody's pushing in a different direction. Okay, so that's what you have in politics is you've got two different groups of people that are all pushing from all different sides and directions to try to solve a problem and all they're doing is destroying things. Better to let them fight it out and we can take a hike. We could sit there and watch them so that life becomes a spectator sport. You don't have to be the champion out on the field trying to solve every problem. So you can think of, okay, so you got asteroids, we've got global warming, we've got guns, we've got abortion. What other things could you not get involved with? <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right, Ukraine. Do you and I want to go sign up and go to Ukraine to fight? No, not, not my problem. <laughs> so this is the way we begin to understand is, is that so many things that we thought were your problem are really not your problem. Your problem is to get your own mind together, to get your own breathing correct, to get your own feelings and 
in here. This is the real issue. And when you get that stuff done, then you can make that something that you could share with other people. So that the girl who lost the cat can get her mind together, can get her breathing together and get her feelings together. This you can help her with. This is your job. That the job. That's the <laughs> okay. So now that we've gotten two of the problems solved, I think we've got all of them solved. Let's let's go over the uh, the other two. No, yeah, it's basically the same. Um, it's the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So your dad, so. your dad's not your problem. Yeah. Yeah, the thing about him is that, uh, I mean, it's the same answer, but it's like a more drastic case, let's say, in the in Western consideration considerations, that he doesn't have many friends and he has health issues, but mostly um, he complains a lot and is negative or talks negatively to himself and to others. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and you talk negatively back to him, huh? Yeah. Okay. In fact, I, I wrote the things that I wanted, that I thought about it, and that I would say to him, and it's like um, a rage text. <laughs> All right. So the way that you can handle that then is to recognize that the only thing that you can do for your dad is to give him something that is actually your business, and that is joy. Okay, add a little sugar to his day. Give him a little perk up. You know, you can find all kinds of things to say. Um, one of the things that I actually used with my mother many, many years ago, which really helped our relationship quite a lot and helped her also, was the little phrase, ain't it awful? What? But we don't say it from the pity party, ain't it awful? We say it from ain't. the humorous point, the joy, oh, wow, ain't that awful? Mm -hmm. So when your dad's complaining about he has no friends, you can say, well, ain't that awful? you don't have any friends do you want some <laughs> then he'll say i don't know how to make friends and you can say oh well ain't that awful <laughs> and then chuckle and maybe you could get him to chuckle too that's what happened with my mom and pretty soon my mom was going around looking at every problem that she had with that little joke ain't it awful ain't it awful that granny's in the hospital ain't it awful that aunt susie doesn't come visit So that's the way of beginning to handle this by giving your dad joy. You can't fix him. Fixing him is not your problem. It's his problem. Your problem is, can you maintain your state of joy, your state of happiness, your state of uh, satisfaction when you're around him? And let that rub off sympathetically. Hobnob with joy. Hobnob? What? Hobnob. Rubbing shoulders with, you know. 
of being in the group. Bring your joy. That's the way to deal with your dad. Yeah, at this point, I feel like my joy, it's there constantly, but it flickers at the minimum things, the smallest things. Oh, oh he'll do what he can to put it out. Yeah. Okay. And the first way of dealing with that is, is that when he gets too much for you, when he has robbed you of your joy, take a hike, get away from him, go get your joy, go get your mojo again, and then come back. But don't join him in his pity party. Don't join him in his uh, no friends and bad health and all of that. Bring him into the moment. Get him to look at a flower. Yeah. The part of taking a hike when I'm um, when I've lost my my mojo uh, sometimes or most of the time people don't understand. Why I'm doing it and I tried to explain you can make it. a little excuse a little white lie like. Yeah. Oh, well, I got to go to the toilet right now. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or I got to go put money in the parking meter. I mean, something silly. Just take a hike. Yeah. I'll be because right back. You don't even have to make an excuse. You can just say, I'll be right back. Mm -hmm. What does right back mean? Five minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, three weeks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me go check on something. Yeah, because what I've done is to try to explain to them why I meditate and why I need seclusion, but that's too serious, right? What now? What I've done when I feel like taking a hike is later explained to them because people get offended when, when I just leave and I, I tend to leave like uh, cramped up or seriously. So then I try to explain that I meditate and stuff, but then people are like, what? Yeah, uh, yeah, you... don't try to make those kind of <laughs> excuses. No, that's, that's, uh, 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 you, you, you can say instead is, oh, well, I was feeling a little down for a moment, and so I had to go get my mojo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they probably will not understand it when you say I've got to go meditate. That's kind of I wouldn't I wouldn't use that because that's asking for them to get confused. <laughs> yeah, another hindrance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, just getting away from it. I go check on something. Or hang on, let me go look at this thing and I'll be right back. And then what does right back mean? Mm -hmm. So that's the way that you can handle that kind of thing is to get away from it, to get away from it all. And if you're uh, wise, you can do that happily. You can get your mojo right back, just, just enough mojo to get yourself happily out of the room. 
Or you can just take a deep breath right in front of them. With the thought, hey, I can handle this. Let me just give myself a moment. I'll get my mojo back. Because after you develop the skill, it doesn't take long. And you can begin to tell your dad, everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah, he's going to get sick and die, but that happens to everybody. Is your dad unique? No, he's not unique. He's not special. He's getting old, he's getting sick, and he's dying, and he doesn't like it a bit. You're going to get old. You're going to get sick, and you're going to die. And right now, it's so far away that it doesn't bother you, but when it gets close, it might. So it's better to be ready for it when it's still far away. So you can actually use your dad as, um, let us say, a teacher of what happens to people when they get old and they get sick and they don't know how to do it. And keep adding joy, keep adding joy. Ain't it awful, Dad, you're so sick. And he'll get pissed off the first time you say that. He may get pissed off the ninth time you say that, but eventually it will get through to him. That you're teasing him. That you're lightening him up. And then it will become effective. That's why I say, a teen, in this case, a teaspoon full of sugar is all you have to get down, but you can't start with a teaspoon of sugar because he's going to knock that out of your hand a thousand times or maybe 10 or 15 times. So you need quite a lot of sugar. It's going to be all over the place with just a little of it getting in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that it would be like he he gets happy when when we're together, but what uh, makes it difficult for me is that he's too, I feel he's too clingy and that I feel like threatened in a way, like my freedom or my integrity. Well, one of the ways you can handle that is by recognizing you're actually quite grateful for your dad because without him, you wouldn't be alive. That he gave you life. And so you could be grateful for him, to him for that. Wow, Dad, I'm really glad that you're there. Without you, what would, what would I ever come to? And so you can start giving him gratitude. You can thank him for being a good dad to you. And when you say, oh, but he wasn't a good dad to me. That's your hindrance. That's your unwholesome thought. Throw that thought out and go find what dad did for you that is worthwhile, that is worth thanking him for, and then go thank him for that instead of uh, grumbling about all the bad stuff that he has done. No, go find something good that he has done and then thank him for it. Knit a sweater with it. Pardon? Knit a sweater with it. Mm-hmm. 
So you said that you had three things. We've talked about cat. We've talked about dad. What's the third one? <laughs> Another cat. <laughs> Pardon? Another cat. Another cat. <laughs> All right. <laughs> What's the story on this cat? Um, two cousins are coming to live here, and they found uh, an abandoned kitten. Uh, but I don't allow pets here, and she really wanted to bring it here, and she cried. And I was a bit swayed, but then by talking to it with my mom, we decided that it was could be mostly a tantrum, and that we would uh, abide by our rule of not allowing pets. Okay, so um, basically the house is your mom's house, right? Yeah. Okay, so it's her rule, and you're just going along with her. Yeah. That if it were your house and your mom was nowhere around, you'd probably let the people have the cat. But you respect your mom for her position, right? Which means... You're free. This is not your business. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is an issue between your mom and her house and those people who want to have a cat. And all you could do is just convey that. And you can convey that happily. Oh, well, mom doesn't like cat kittens here. I'm sure that we can find a good home. Maybe the girl who lost her cat. No, she's found it again, so that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, all three checked. None of my business. None of your business. N For now. M B. Not my <laughs> business. Your dad's bad feelings. Not your business. Missing cats. Not your business. Mom's house rules, not your business. And look how free and easy your life can be when things are just not your business anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not not many problems, really. Yeah, there's it's... no real problems. Every problem that we ever had is because we thought something was our business. In fact, most of that stuff, not my business. A whole lot of people think it's their business and a whole lot of people want help with their business. But it, you don't have to own it. You don't have to buy it. You just leave mom's rule. Well, mom's got a rule. No house, no cats in the house, no animals in the house. That's the rule. If you have problems with that, go talk to mom. Not my business. Ha <laughs> yeah. But that one was interesting because it was just that I, part of me wanted to fight, so I made it my, my business. Wisdom is to recognize when you're making things your business that really are not your business. Okay, Eric, well, I think that we've covered all the bases, at least the ones that are not your business. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you for so taking we'll the see. time to 
discuss all three, even though we clarified everything from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Isn't that great? The, the Dhamma is just so simple. The complexity when we say, well, what about this? And what about that? What about that? Well, the same Dhamma fits all of them. <laughs> But they are, each situation has its particularities and like it requires skill to work through every particular thing. Mm -hmm. Now it's just right. being lazy and let you do all the work. <laughs> I haven't done any work at all. It's not what your problems are, not my business. <laughs> okay, Eric, well, we'll see you later. Yeah, Go have you. fun with your dad. Go have fun with your friends that have a kitten. Go have fun with your mom. All of that strife and troubles and problems are not your business. <laughs> See, <ya. laughs> okay. See you later.